One day Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into the boat and they set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a squall came across the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where's your faith? he asked his disciples. In fear and in amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And it that is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. You are our strength and our redeemer. Help us to have faith accordingly. Amen. Wow, looking at America's top fears, where do you fall on this list? 28% of us are afraid of bugs and snakes and other animals. I fall in that category. I'm not going to tell you which of those, so as not to let you in on any weakness that I have. Blood and needles, 20% of us want to avoid that as much as possible. Claustrophobia, 19%. That's being in tightly enclosed places and feeling trapped and being afraid. Strangers, 13% of people fear strangers. Clowns, 8%. I don't understand it. But not everybody understands everybody's fears, do we? Ghost, 6%. And still the highest of public speaking is at 32%. You know, fears are not just on a list, are they? They are things within our hearts and our minds, in our lives. Very real things, whether they are perceived or um, truthful, that can control us. We all have our things that we're not afraid to tell other people that we're scared of. But then we all have shadow fears, don't we? Things that we're afraid of in life, and yet, yet maybe we're not willing to let on. And I'm not just talking about bugs and snakes. I'm talking about fear of failure and fear of being abandoned or fear of people finding out who we really are and our weaknesses. We have fears in life of of being left all alone or without anything to eat and the basic necessities of life. And fear just grips us and controls us much more than we would think that it would, or maybe more than we're willing to admit. Anxiety is something that is in high supply in our culture today. We have a lot of folks that are anxious, at least according to the American Psychological Association. There's a high record percentage of people that are being treated for anxiety. And why is that? Is that fear? No, fear that may be a, a, a reaction that we have to a threat that is imminent and sure. Anxiety is more in our minds and imagined, but very real in the way it's played out. 
Have you ever been with anyone before who has had a panic attack? You don't understand what's going on in their mind, and yet it's very real to them. They have the same physiological um, manifestations as fear, muscle tension and increased heart rate and shortness of breath and needing to escape and get away. Fear and anxiety are very real things for us in this day and age. And there may be all kinds of reasons for that that we leave to counselors and psychologists to, to explain to us. Sometimes fear is so real that we need to seek help out to deal with it. And I would encourage you to do that. If fear grips your life in such a way that you can't function and do the things, find someone to talk to. Come talk to me. I'll, I'll move you along to someone that is professionally trained in dealing with those things. Let's observe a few things of the movements of Jesus in this story of the disciples being confronted with their fear today. There's three parts to it that we'll move through very quickly. And the first of those is Jesus sleeping. That's right, taking a nap. Luke reports to us that as they were going to the other side of the lake, Jesus fell asleep in the boat. Now, there's something to be said for someone that can sleep in an open boat like that. But especially when the storms start to, to come upon the lake and the waves swell and the winds blow, Jesus slept calmly and peacefully, but the disciples did not. There's a distinction, a difference between the two. How very human of Jesus to need to take a nap. He had been working hard, teaching and healing, and wanted to go to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee in a very deserted place to, to get some time away from the crowds, apparently. And he needs to rest and to take a nap. Here's a few quotes about naps that I found. I'm so good at napping, one person said, that I can do it with my eyes closed. I thought that was cute. Taking naps is very childish, one adult said, but I'd rather define them as horizontal life pauses instead, a pause from the day, a break. Stephen Wright, the comedian um, of old, said, My mom taught me when I was growing up to follow my dreams, so I took a nap. How about that? One person said, when I was a child, I thought nap time was punishment, but now that I'm an adult, I think it's, it's a vacation instead. There's something about taking a break and resting from our weariness that brings us a peace. And Jesus was able to do that even in the middle of what for us would be a seeming storm. There on the Sea of Galilee in the boats that they would use, it was very easy for a boat to turn over during a storm. If you've ever sailed before, and, and these ships, these boats were wind-powered with sails, you usually have a keel that comes out of the bottom, and what does that do? It keeps the boat from flipping over when there's a gust of wind. But if it's a fishing boat, how do you get a boat with a keel up on the seashore on land to unload your fish to sell to people or to take to the market. The boats had no keel. And the storms were raging as they often do there on the Lake of Gesenerit. It's called now the Sea of Galilee. And it took the disciples off guard. 
Jesus had a peace in his sleep, but they were at full alarm and in complete and total fear. Second movement in this, this story miraculously concluding is that Jesus rebukes this storm and, and tells it to stop, quit it, and it does. Jesus is awakened by the disciples. I can see them shaking his shoulder saying, Master, Master, are you not afraid? Do you not see what's going on here? The boats in Galilee, low to the ground, very shallow and wide. And why is that? So you can haul a net of fish out of the ocean inside. And once the weight is in the bottom, it keeps the boat stable. But the disciples were not on a fishing trip, were they? They were carrying precious cargo to the other side, and the storm came, and there was nothing to weight the boat down. When they woke him up, there was water in the boat, Luke tells us, and Jesus stood up and said, be calm, stop, and it did. Jesus had the power of God, and the word that Luke uses is very interesting here, epitiameo, which means to cast out, to deliver. It's the same word that Luke says Jesus confronts his disciples with or rebukes them over for not being believing and not being understanding of who he is. The same word that Luke uses for Jesus casting out demons or uh, driving the fever away from Peter's mother that he cured. Jesus uses this verb of deliverance to say to that storm that is raging all around them, stop, be still, and it is driven away. And there was a real fear for the disciples of dying and drowning there in the ocean. And did you notice their surprise when he did that? He asked them, where is your faith, and what did they say? They did not answer. But instead, they marveled at who he was and what he had done. They had seen him do these miracles before and deliver people from things that were threatening to them. And yet, they were not in a position that their fears were relieved. The last movement of this, of this miracle of Jesus is him becoming their peace. Because he drove the storm that threatened them away and delivered them from imminent danger. Falling into the sea in a life of, of no life preservers and no safety precautions for fishermen. Their lives were seriously at threat. And Jesus saved them from that in a way that they could not save themselves. Now, if you've ever hung around with any fishermen before, you know, you know that they can be kind of a gruff crowd. And I can't imagine these professional fishermen like Peter and Andrew and James and John, business owners that spent their lives up to that point of following Jesus on the sea fishing, having to go and beg Jesus, who knows absolutely nothing about it, to save them from their realm. I want us to hear today that that Jesus became their peace because he brought peace into their world when they could not find it themselves. And I want us to think about today 
in our realm of life. How is it that we can invite Jesus in to come and be our peace? You notice I say there's a, or point out there's a difference between finding peace and letting Jesus be our peace. There's a great difference between just trying to manage and, and make do and lower our stress and be able to handle all of the anxiety in life. And yet to invite Jesus to be our peace is to say, Master, Master, save me. There's something that we need to know, and that is today, that whatever it is that we cannot manage, wherever it is that we are afraid or anxious, Jesus is willing to step in and to save us from that fear and from that loss. He may not deliver us from the storm that is raging around us, but he will be our peace in the midst of it if we will faithfully sail with him. Jesus is the peace to the disciples and wants to be our peace to deliver us and to let us let go of our fears and our anxieties. Let me close with a quick illustration from from the founder of Methodism, John Wesley, and you may know the story, I've shared it with you before, this English clergyman of the 17th, no, 18th century, 1700s, was a man chasing after God. He grew up in a ministerial home, he went to, to seminary and to college to be a clergyman. He felt incomplete because he still had fears and anxieties that he could not escape. He got to know a man named Count Zinzendorf, a, a German, very faithful Lutheran pastor, and they communicated by letter. They were of like mind. They wrote in Latin because that was the common language that they could understand with one another. They met just twice in life, and Count Zinzendorf was interested and concerned about renewing the faith of Germany, as Wesley was the faith of England. And so they communicated and shared many ideas. And there are many things that Wesley and Zinzendorf had in common, using small groups or bands for accountability and for, for their worshipers, a de-emphasization de of wealth and class in their society, of doing social justice things like feeding the hungry and helping those that were sick and in need. They both allowed women to be more involved in the ministry of church and in their society than others were doing at that time. There was a great collegiality between the two, but a great admiration that Wesley had for Zinzendorf and his group called the Moravians. And it stemmed from from a, a trip that Wesley took to the colonies of North America, to Georgia, to be a missionary. And it was in the rages of a great storm when he wrote in his journal later, he thought the ship was literally going to be torn apart and that he would perish. Don't let it get past you today that, that this story no doubt influenced John Wesley and his understanding of Jesus being peace in the midst of the storm. He wrote that he was so amazed that these 
these people called Moravians, German-speaking, would simply continue on with business as usual in prayer and in worship despite the ship about to come apart. And it bugged him to no end because, he, because they had something he did not. And it was a peace that passes all understanding. He counted the Moravians and Zinzendorf as being an influence in his seminal moment when he came to an understanding that Christ and Christ alone would be his peace. The Aldersgate moment at Aldersgate Church. And Wesley came to an understanding that all of his fears and anxieties could be let go of and given to Christ. And when he did, his life was severely transformed in a way that was glorifying of God, in a way that was igniting of the ministry that he was called to do there in England and abroad. Where is it that you worry with fear and anxiety today? For this week to come, what is it that's beyond your control and your grasp? Even if you know how to manage it wherever you are, at your home, at school if you're a student, at work, in the community, where is it? that you need to invite Christ in to be your peace. Not just your mind in knowing, but your heart in believing. Where's your faith? Jesus asked. And that's what he asked of us today.